You feel you've been rehabilitated? Rehabilitated? Well, now, let me see. You know, I don't have any idea what that means. Well, it means you're ready to rejoin society. I know what you think it means, Sonny. To me, it's just a made-up word. A politician's word, so that young fellows like yourself can wear a suit and a tie and have a job. What do you really want to know? Am I sorry for what I did? There's not a day goes by I don't feel regret. Not because I'm in here, because you think I should. I look back on the way I was then. A young, stupid kid who committed that terrible crime. I want to talk to him. I want to try to talk some sense to him. Tell him the way things are. But I can't. That kid's long gone, and this old man is all that's left. I gotta live with that. Rehabilitated. It's just a bullshit word. So you go on and stamp your form, Sonny, and stop wasting my time. Because to tell you the truth, I don't give a shit. What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Note to self, don't die. Welcome in, everybody, to the supposedly for-profit venture known as the Stone On Air podcast, delivered in weekly installments, generally speaking, every Wednesday. Been a little bit consistent here recently. Today is October 30th, 2019. It is Halloween Eve. I guess I should have looked it up, except that I don't care. Is it All Hallows' Eve? Is that what today is and then tomorrow's Halloween? Or is Halloween also referred to as All Hallows' Eve? It seems like I've heard that before. Um, I don't know. One of my least favorite uh, holidays of the year. (laughs) It's not really even a holiday. It's uh, just kind of a tradition more than anything else. I mean, it's fantastic when you're a child. Which I'll get into more here in a few minutes and come clean on kind of where I've come from on this for all these years. I do it every year, so I, I don't want to do the same thing every single Halloween and the same thing every Valentine's Day and the same thing every New Year's Eve and all those kinds of things. But uh, in the world of radio, that kind of stuff happens all the time because, you know, you're, you're, you're rolling radio every day and you got to come up with something and you have different listeners all the time. In the podcast world, you have more repeat listeners and I don't want you to think, oh, well, here comes Brian with his predictable uh, Halloween show. Or here comes Brian with his predictable bread and milk joke uh, fallacy, which I still just love to do every year. I can't wait for the first time we get a little bit of snow. And all the dullards start in on that. So uh, I won't do uh, the typical, uh, my complete breakdown of uh, the silliness of this holiday. But I will tell you where I originally kind of formal- formed that not the opinion. I've always thought it was kind of silly, but kind of the double down, you know, and then triple down on uh, on my kind of stance on it. Where that originated from here in just a few minutes on the tail end of this opening segment. Um, let's see. So Morgan Freeman apparently was in town 
just uh, the other day at uh, Champies. There's picture, there's photographic evidence on social media. I saw it. Um, I get, you know, I get pretty excited when something like that happens. John Haim came uh, to town one uh, year during Bonnaroo, and he was cruising through 75 or 24, and he stopped at Bonnaroo and then went to, was it St. John's maybe? Somewhere down uh, on that end of town, downtown, and then gave his artist pass to one of the, to his server. And then she later posted on social media from the main stage at Bonnaroo, and it picked up some local press. But, yeah, Morgan Freeman was in town. Uh, don't know why, but uh, that is that is pretty neat when stuff like that happens. Uh, let's see. I'm going to touch on some Mox football for a minute. Won't be on that long. This Nikki's restaurant on the North Shore over by the tunnels near Stringer's Ridge has been around for 79 years. Looks like it's on its way uh, out of, maybe not out of business, but at least out of that location. And uh, that's about it before I get to um, to Halloween. Let's Go was great on Friday for that masquerade and Halloween party. Nice crowd, good sound, big time. Big time at uh, at the signal for that uh, album release party. So if you went to that, you already know. Let's Go is about as good of a talent as the city's got, man. He really, really knows what he is doing. All right, so let's see. On the second segment of the show, I'm going to break down uh, where the fate of cable TV is. Spoiler alert on that. It's dying. And the streaming wars. And we all of a sudden have this explosion of streaming wars, app streaming services. And it is quite literally a be careful what you wish for kind of situation. When we've all been saying, I want to pick what I want to watch. I don't want these cable packages. Well, I don't know. We'll wait and see how it all unfolds. Uh, a lot of it is already kind of showing. Much of it's still left to be um, to be determined on whether this is going to be a better system than cable bundles or not. But it is uh, it is remarkable how the the restrictions has been removed from uh, broadcast and, c- and cable TV from streaming, and now it's kind of turning into a free for all. We'll look at that in the second segment. In the final segment of the show, something happened to me at a local uh, gas station convenience store. Just down the road here in on South Seminole in East Ridge, that involved me, a white guy, a uh, the the person working behind the counter, which was of Arabic uh, descent. I don't, you know, we would say Indian around here, but not an Indian. But you see, you'd get where I'm coming from. And then an African American male, and it wasn't dangerous. It wasn't even overly stupid if you didn't pay close enough attention. But it was. It was very interesting study of the human condition and the human interaction, just out in the marketplace and out in a in a public setting. And I will uh, I'll expand more on that in the final segment of the show. But the first couple things here before I get to the uh, to the Halloween stuff and and my years of kind of uh, hating on it. So it looks like this Nikki's restaurant. It has been here for seventy nine freaking years. Seventy nine years. And uh, Fletcher Bright, uh, who puts on the uh, Three Sisters uh, Bluegrass Festival every year and just a developer and uh, land uh, swapping type of company, uh, they have bought the land. First of all, it seems weird that this this restaurant's been here for 79 years and they've just been paying rent the whole time. you think they would have figured out a way to try to buy the property, but that clearly is not the case and they're going to build a 52 units uh, condos one and two bedrooms just what the north shore needs is more of those probably valued in somewhere in the 200 to 450 to 500 thousand dollar a year uh, apartment buildings for uh, really uh, all intents and purposes 
let's see. It says uh, Carden Smith, the Fletcher Bright uh, Company vice president, said earlier that the company has been working with Nikki's owner, James E. Jones, on the potential project. He said Fletcher Bright Company has a contract to buy the Nikki's restaurant property. It's unclear whether the popular restaurant, which is a 79-year-old fixture on Chattanooga's North Shore, known for its jumbo fried shrimp and onion rings, will relocate to another site or just close all the way out. Um, there was many years ago, there was a little place called, I think, Northside Lunch, little just kind of shack that got uh, kind of pushed out right at the foot of Walnut Street Bridge, and there was this big movement to save it. They were doing some kind of revitalization around there. It was probably 15 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago. And at the end of the day, everybody realized this place kind of sucked. You know, the only reason they were trying to save it was because of nostalgia. And um, same kind of thing happened with Town and Country just across the way over there, which is now a Walgreens. And in that neighborhood, a Walgreens, I would think, is probably better than the old crappy retirement home uh, attended uh, town and country restaurant. Um, I ate at that place once. It had a pretty cool sign, old kind of feel to it, but I have a feeling it probably mostly sucked too. And my guess is Nikki's really ain't all that good either. Anybody can fry up some uh, jumbo shrimp and onion rings if you got a fryer and a couple of ingredients. So I guess I will probably try to make a stop in there to see what all the fuss is about before they officially close. And then a quick thing here, I saw David Pascal from the Times Free Press uh, wrote this uh, piece uh, a couple weeks ago after the Mox had a uh, Thursday evening game against ETSU, which used to be a big rivalry back in the day, and then ETSU folded football, and then they brought it back here recently. So that rivalry is still there on paper, but <clears throat> excuse me, but I'm not sure anybody actually cares. And once upon a time, it was always said that if the Mox could just get better times on Saturdays, and not be up against the Vols, win, and have more Thursday games, that the, 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 the city would support the team more. And that was the first line of, uh, of his piece, were those just myths? And I'm not going to read much of it. I'm just going to scan it here. 7,900 were at uh, the game on that Thursday. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous day. I wish I could have gone, but I had too much other stuff going on. And uh, that's about what you're going to get. Uh, these days, uh, not even ten thousand in that in that building. The building was built poorly for Mox football. It was built great for many other things. It was just it's just too big. And Chamberlain Field was a perfect capacity for Mox football. It just was a you know it was old and needed to be. I guess in the end, if you weren't going to put millions into to uh, renovating it, you needed to uh, to get rid of it. And I think they have like portions of the bleachers still there, and it's like a, a intramural field or something like that now. Uh, it says, I I just think it's the Chattanooga market, says Mike Davis uh, from the Stadium Corp uh, board chairman. It's frustrating to sit there and look out and think, this is it. I've seen an effort that I haven't seen in a while now, and that's encouraging as a fan, but we had a problem giving tickets away last Thursday night. People complain that it's a school night, but this is what we've been hollering about for years. I love Thursday night games, but this is a little frustrating. I know the university is trying. And here's the deal. You can't make people like a product that really isn't all that good. Um, I have always been a big FCS football fan. I still am. I think it's more real kids, more everyday kids that you actually interact with on a daily basis. I love the FCS playoffs every year. But overall, the product's not that good because FBS, the division, the top division of college football, is not very good. 
and NFL football is not very good. This trickle-down effect is happening. There's not a lot of quality football out there anymore, and it's just going to get less and less and less, and the mocks don't offer a very good product. It's a fun product. It's it's a it's a family friendly, fun, great environment, but it's just not that desirable. And it is a shame. It sucks. I love Finley Stadium. I go anytime I get a chance. I talk about it here all the time. Y'all already know that. But that people have been banging and banging and banging and trying so hard to to push this Mox football team, and it's just not going to happen. This is what this team is. A, a, a 6 to 11,000, 12 at the most, top out attendance team and program. And it's never going to be more than that. It's always going to be right there. That's why that's why uh, Chamberlain Field was the perfect uh, uh, capacity. I think it was about 10,000 capacity. And maybe with standing, you could fit more. But that's, you know, that's long gone. Nothing to do about that now. I root for the Mox football. I never talk bad about Mox football. But the Southern Conference is as bad as it's ever been. All the heavy hitters have long since left, and the mocks have still not been able to even be dominant inside of a very, very, very weak, potentially the worst uh, uh, conference in FCS football. I don't know the league well enough to say that uh, de- decisively, you know, definitively, but I I would bet that it's near tied for uh, lower level from um, from what I can tell from over the years. And as I say that, I think they're at home this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. It might be a 2 o'clock kick. I might try to get down there at least for a little tailgating action. All right. Um, So there are two or three or four radio hosts and radio shows that I have studied very closely over my uh, you know 20 years of paying attention to this industry that have been my most influential. And one of them is Colin Cowherd. Another is uh, the afternoon show, well, both the mid-afternoon and late-afternoon shows in Atlanta, drive time on 680 The Fan, Buck and Kincaid, Buck Blue from the 1980 Georgia Bulldogs. I don't care about that portion of it, just in case you might have heard of him before. He was the quarterback for Herschel Walker's Georgia team. And then the afternoon, um, Matt Chernoff and uh, Chuck Oliver. You No reason you never know who they are. And, um, and Jim Rome out of Los Angeles, who is a national figure obviously Colin Cowherd is either and really quite frankly Jeff Styles. Jeff Styles here locally is was a huge influence on me so you take that four or five combo of team you know d- d- uh, dual partners shows or single hosted shows which I I think both can be very good it's very difficult to be a, a duo but it's also very difficult to be single to, to by yourself so they're they're both have their their challenges but if you take all those together you take all their styles and you put them all together that is how I have uh, I've kind of approached the way I do shows. And about 11 years ago, Jim Rome did a show where he was hating on Halloween. And it is not lost on me or much of anybody else that his show is a bit. It is a produced, somewhat uh, choreographed and written out kind of show. It does have off the cuff and it does have freehand. But there is a very, uh, there's, a, there's a writing nature and producing nature to his show. And I've never liked Halloween. I've always thought it was silly. And I haven't dressed up in a costume since I was quite literally like 10, 10, 11, 12 years old. And um, I'm not mad at you if you do. It's fine. But he goes on this rant, and I kind of started to formulate my own version of that rant over the years 
So just for full transparency, it's kind of like being a musician and you hear something you like and you kind of make your own version of it. That kind of stuff happens all the time, especially in this industry overall. So I'm just going to play some cuts from Jim Rome from 11 years ago. Just starts off by saying this is not an adult holiday. This is not an adult holiday. New Year's Eve, for instance, is for adults. That is an adult holiday. Halloween is not an adult holiday. Hey, Rome, way to go. You're a bad guy. You're a buzzkill. We're just having fun. (laughs) You are. I'm not a bad guy, and I'm all for having fun. I'm just an adult, and I'm not a child. So he goes on to talk about what is the cutoff for uh, ages to be wearing costumes at Halloween. Seriously, nobody thinks that's funny. Nobody thinks that's cool. Memo to adults, because a lot of you need to hear this. Halloween is for kids, young kids. It's not your holiday. In fact, let me be very specific. You want to know what the cutoff age is for costumes? The cutoff age for costumes is 10. 10, unless at 11, you're a short, you're a short kid and you look very young for your age. Then I'll let you rock that costume one more year. Otherwise, the cutoff age is 10. Nobody over the age of 10 should ever wear a costume. If you're right now in your car or at work and you're wearing a costume, I'm going to put this very delicately. You're a loser. That's a little bit uh that's a little bit harsh and 10 might be a little too young for the cutoff. I'd I'd give you until you're a teen a young teenager. I'd give you until you're about 13. And about that time, Halloween trick or treating should not uh, be a thing in your life anymore, though we know, obviously, that is not the case, certainly not in this area of the world. Uh, Jim Rome continues to talk about how nobody likes people who wear costumes. It's harsh. It's rough. Somebody has to say it. Truth hurts, but not as much as the rest of us having to look at your costume. It's not (laughs) funny. It's not clever. It's not cute. Nobody is impressed. And just because you have a clown suit on today doesn't make people around you suddenly start to like you it's not going to make you popular if they didn't want to talk to you yesterday they're really not going to want to talk to you in a clown suit today and if for some reason they did like you yesterday (laughs) well if we liked you yesterday you wouldn't be the kind of guy that would put on a clown suit because that's not the kind of people that we like it's an us against them deal Uh, i love it um he goes on to say there is one segment of the population where yeah i guess it's okay There are some women out there who, when they leave work, you don't even know what they're into. You wish you did. You want to know. But to them, it's a green light to skank it up. And they may want to break out the devil costume or the naughty nurse. I can live with it. Go ahead. If you have to. If you have to. It's not as offensive as the other. And I've had a lot of people tell me uh, on the radio during the segments or just in general when I I do it out at whenever uh that man you know your chances of getting lucky with uh with a girl you might you know be trying to warm up to are gonna go way higher if you uh go along with the dressing up kind of thing and i understand that that is uh very real uh only two more clips here i love this one because man teenagers suck what's even more offensive in a way teenagers teenagers who put on a baseball cap and then say that's their costume Teenagers who put on a baseball cap and then grab a hefty bag or a pillowcase. Maybe they get real creative with it and put on some fake dreads like Manny Ramirez. And they're like, hey, yo, trick or treat. Yo, trick or treat. Yo, yo, playa. If you need food for when you get high, 
go to the market. You're too old to trick or treat. You know, stoner, you work at Taco Bell. You get a paycheck. Use your money and buy candy. Stop going around the neighborhood at age 15 with a baseball cap on and trick-or-treating. You're not trick-or-treating. You're a stoner. Yeah. <laughs> That's offensive to me. <laughs> and the final one here, he continues on the stoners and uh, trick-or-treating. Of course, you think you're done. You've winded it down. Of course, no, they're out, still trying to trick-or-treat, and generally just misbehaving, creating trouble. You know, the stoners are like also, you think that the thing's done. You took your kids out at dusk. They got their cute little pumpkins where they can only jam so many sugar daddies into. The parents are walking around with their beer and their wine or their sapphire. The sun goes down. You come home. You let the doorbell go a few times. But these, the stoners are the ones who are showing up like at 1030. Hey, yo, trick or treat. Trick or treat or I'm taking a, an east into your mailbox. You beat it, man. Get out of here, stoner. <laughs> and it's just a night where teenagers are just going to get in to nothing but trouble, uh, especially when it falls on the weekend. I know because I was a teenager, and that's what we did. Um, I get dressing up with the kids, especially the young ones, in an Instagram world, taking pictures, carving pumpkins. All that stuff's fine. I'm talking about the people that lose their bleep over it just as this amazing, one of the most favorite days in the world. I just don't get it. I don't think you're a loser. I don't think people don't like you. That's all over-the-top stuff. I just don't get it. There's so many things that I'm into that people don't get, and there's so many things that other people are into that I don't get, and Halloween just happens to be one of them. Plus, I hate the fall into winter transition. It brings back a lot of bad memories, Uh, PTSD from how much I hate the winter. It's just overall, it's not one of my favorite times of year. It's all good. I'm not trying to be too big of a dick about it. So it might be a be careful what you wish for kind of situation. The streaming wars are on, and it might cost you more than you think. That's coming up next. Stone on Air will be right back. He's cool. Stoneonair.com. The streaming video market is about to get crowded. It is a giant arms race. The streaming landscape has been getting more competitive. Linear TV, no offense to what we're doing right here, is in trouble. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime Video, and others are about to come head-to-head with the likes of Disney+, Apple TV+, HBO Max, and CNBC's parent company, Comcast NBC Universal. It's been dubbed the streaming wars. A lot of people are figuring out where they want to position themselves Uh, for the future of TV. In 2017, 61% of adults 18 to 29 years old said they primarily watch TV through a streaming service, compared to just 31% who watched cable. There's going to have to be winners and losers here. So who's going to win? What's going to happen to cable? And what will happen when customers have to pay just as much, if not more, for all their streaming services as they would have for cable? Yeah, recycling a couple of rejoin songs today. 21st Century Digital Boy from Bad Religion. Yep. In everything in life, always be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it, and often... We wish for things we don't thoroughly think about what they might actually be. Now, this stuff was coming whether you wish for it or not. 
with the technological advances of the 21st century. But cable TV is done. Um, there's just enough people of certain age demographics that'll keep some of it around that will, uh, it, it, it isn't going to just up and disappear. Um, as I'll unfold here with some of these uh, audio clips I have all coming from CNBC. It's a long, like, 10-minute kind of, I don't know, feature, vignette kind of thing that I uh, just chopped up into some of the, uh, let's see, I think it was eight of the, uh, what I thought were the most important parts of it to get across what all this is. Because it's been kind of tough to understand exactly what's going on with the world of cable TV. Um, I just cut my cord last year tail end of the year and it might have even been earlier this year but it's been i've been in 19 most year without uh without cable i've been watching braves on the, the fox sports go app for uh most of the year and what had happened was and I, i'd like to say as tony kornheiser would say i called that one i think i had that um back in 2007 i did the show with my um our interview with my cousin who writes for so many different shows. Right now, the uh, Marvelous, what the hell is the name of that show? The Marvelous Macelle, Macelle, whatever the hell that show is. She won an Emmy not long ago for it. She used to write for Mad About You and Gilmore Girls and Ugly Betty. Uh, she's a superstar in the family. And I had her on in 2007 for the writer's strike. If you were here regularly, you probably remember that. And we were talking about on the radio station back in 07, or was it 08? Might have been 08. Either one, one of those two years about the writer's strike and that how the cable TV is just not going to be the thing. Internet providers are going to be your cable TV. Now, fast forward 12, 11, 12 years, and that's where we're at. So, yes, I'd like to say I had that one. Uh, but the problem is, is that all these models, that's what the strike was about, all these distribution models were based on, on preserving the cable bundle. It really was, in a lot of ways, a monopoly on how people watch TV. Now, it really it wasn't because there was direct and dish and other ways satellite that you could get cable programming. But it always had a it always had a catch. There was always a rub somewhere. There was always something that most people didn't want to go that route, whether it's because of weather and signal or availability of channels or being able to get your local channels, which I've never been able to understand that damn argument because local TV's always been free. You don't have to pay for local TV. You still don't. Well, I don't get ABC, CBS, or Fox. Everybody gets ABC, CBS, or Fox, especially in a digital world. Now you just got to get a digital antenna. And um, unless you're unfortunate like me and live at the bottom of a ridge and the signal doesn't come in well, but it does come in if I try hard enough. So it's there was it was foolish on the parts of all the executives of all these big uh, cable companies to, to try to stick with this model because for so long it was just hard to understand how the internet was eventually going to take over our world. I'm never surprised by anything anymore. And that's just finally flipped in the last, I don't know, I'm making up numbers, half decade or so. No technology blows me away anymore. No innovation makes me go, I can't believe that happened. I mean, I believe everything. I believe anything is possible when it comes to the world of technology. Remember, we played video games, even going all the way back to maybe even like Sega Genesis or the you know PlayStation 1. Like, oh my God, this is so great. How could it ever get better? It always gets better, right? Oh my God, this phone is amazing. Look at all this stuff it does. How could they ever make a better one? They always make a better one. And um, 
and I'm just conditioned to that now. So whatever comes out, I am uh, I'm not surprised by. But old fogey white rich men who have been making the decisions for these cable bundling uh, companies uh, really, really, really found themselves uh, on their way out of business you know, sometime this decade. Now, what happened was primarily the one that was going to get hit the most was ABC, Disney, and ESPN. Um, they were charging outrageous amounts of money for these cable bundles to carry ESPN programming. And, you know, most people don't watch ESPN. Lots of people do. But generally speaking, across the spectrum of the whole, you know, TV audience in America, most people don't watch ESPN, but everybody was paying for ESPN. It was quite a a brilliant uh, scheme to get people to buy stuff that they didn't even want for, I don't know, how long? 20, 25, 30 years? Well, Netflix changed all that. Netflix came and, you know, first, it's, it is amazing. That I'd love to hear a podcast or some kind of watch some kind of documentary on the, the evolution of Netflix. I mean, from sending games and DVDs through the mail to then becoming the giant content producer that it is, all in a pretty small stretch of time, roughly a decade. It's more than that, but from most people's consciousness, about a decade. That's a hell of a success story, as much as Amazon or anything else. But um, they they failed to take that model seriously, assuming it would bubble up, and then they would just go by the wayside and cable would continue to charge people outrageous amounts of money for pro- programming and content they don't even want. And so then that got everybody want, wanting, though, the a la carte, wanting to be able to pick what they want. Well... I'm not so sure that we actually all really wanted that because now that the streaming services are coming, the, the, they figured out these people are not dumb. They might be naive and they might be stuck in their ways. But once they start getting real br- brilliant brains back into the boardroom and say, let's fix this. We've got billions of dollars. All we got to do is, you know, throw money at the problem. We can change the direction of all this. And not only can we change the direction, we can get even richer and charge them even more money. So for the longest time, cable TV, anything that aired on cable television could not be aired in real time on the Internet. Now, over the years, they started to change, relax some of those rules. I don't know how that's governed or how that's uh, how that's regulated, but you could then sometimes watch it the next day or a week later or a year later. You could watch a show, the you know, seasons of a show that's. That's already passed. That was already aired on cable. And lots of little different things like that. Sports. Nothing sports could be aired live on uh, on the internet. Only on cable TV. Well, then they started making separate packages and deals with Twitter one year and Amazon this year. And, and I think it was Yahoo another year where they could stream. And so every year it gets a little bit more and a little bit more. Now all of a sudden, because of all the accus- acquisition, acquisitions, I should say, Jesus, sorry, of, of conglomerates gobbling up all these... These uh, distribution, online streaming distributions, they've now been able to just kind of blow all those rules and regulations out of the water, and now they can kind of do whatever they want. And the best part for them is they can charge you for each individual segment of it. And the bundling that we thought we didn't want, we might have actually realized we kind of liked it all bundled together in one spot, as opposed to having to buy you know, nickel and diming it at six bucks here and five bucks there and ten bucks here. Before you know it, you're spending... If you're not careful, especially with a house full of kids, uh, maybe double what you used to pay for cable. Um, I guess each individual situation would have to be analyzed. 
But from my viewpoint, that seems to be potentially very true. It's not going to bother me all that much because I'm pretty happy when it comes to being content on TV with some a couple of streams. I don't need Disney+. Plus. What is Disney+. Plus? Well, let's get into the CNBC uh, audio that I pulled. We'll start with that right now. Disney Plus, what is it? Disney announced the details of its Disney Plus platform in April of 2019, touting all of its franchises and acquisitions like Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, National Geographic, and 20th Century Fox. Disney has the best chance just because of its uh, very, very popular content and the money and distribution and the Disney name it's putting behind it. That's going to cost customers $6.99 a month or $69.99 a year. Most recently, Disney announced it will also be offering a bundle including Disney+, Plus, ESPN+, Plus, and ad-supported Hulu. Disney+, Plus and the bundle will be launching on November 12, 2019. Really, the game changer there is, is Disney purchasing Hulu and that's what I've been watching here recently is Hulu Live. I mean, I know they got the strongest uh, commercial uh, advertising campaign out there. I'm sure YouTube is TV is probably just as good, but uh it is pretty damn cool. It's I mean, it's just like having cable except it's on your phone and it's about 50 bucks a month. So if you get that and then you get, you know, four or five apps on top of that, you can see where that can go. Uh, Apple's got their own version of TV, and a little surprise, they're coming in so far on the tail end with a not-so-clever name, Apple TV Plus. I don't know who got to it first, but not exactly the most creative thing coming from what is often known as the most innovative and creative company in the world. Apple announced Apple TV Plus at a keynote in March of 2019, which will feature original content from some of the most prominent producers and actors like Oprah Winfrey, Steven Spielberg, Jennifer Aniston, and Reese Witherspoon. Apple TV Plus is set to launch in the fall of 2019, but the price has not been announced. And you know somehow they're going to work Apple TV Plus into iTunes and Apple Podcasts and try to figure out more ways to charge you for things that you might be used to getting for free. I don't know that for sure, but some of the names they just gave there just didn't sound like that star-studded. So I'm not sure how far behind Apple TV is going to be on all the streaming services and the streaming wars. HBO has already got their app and they're already independent from the cable company bundles and packages, but they are going to double down and also have HBO Max. HBO Max is slated to launch its beta in late 2019 and will feature content from a variety of assets owned by its parent company, AT&T, and WarnerMedia. WarnerMedia hasn't released the pricing for HBO Max, though it's expected to be somewhere around $15 to $18 a month. It will offer all of the programming you already get on HBO, which is probably the most competitive product in terms of quality. Plus, it's going to offer you all of the programming that lives in the Warner Brothers universe, whether it's Friends or DC Comics, and then you throw in original programming on top of that. And so now you've got another $15 to $18 a month to get some extra HBO in your life. No thank you here, but I could see how many people would really, really want that. CBS is the only uh, big network, uh, national Big Four network, that already has its own streaming um, uh, app and a platform called CBS All Access. 
Viacom and CBS have held extensive merger talks, which would put them in good standing for a streaming service. This service could include the Star Trek movies, programming from Comedy Central, and shows that currently stream on CBS All Access, CBS's current streaming service that already boasts 8 million subscribers. So I'm sure they would uh, blend the All Access into whatever this other platform with Viacom is, and if you already have 8 million subscribers on board... You're already off to a pretty good start. I did a free trial with CBS All Access when I was trying to watch a Titans game that I couldn't find on local TV and was frustrated with that experience, but I think I would have been frustrated with it no matter what because I wasn't interested in having to even get the damn free trial. NBC is going to continue to try to keep the cable, um, not maybe not at its core, but the, the, the cable bundle as part of their plan because, hell, they're owned by Comcast. You know they're not going to give up that easily. CNBC's parent company, NBC Universal, is taking a more cable-focused approach, which makes sense as NBC is owned by cable provider Comcast. NBC Universal announced the service would be free to cable customers, and while it hasn't announced a cost for cord cutters, sources say it will probably be $10 or less per month for customers without cable subscriptions. NBC Universal's product will be ad-supported, so whether you are a cable subscriber and you get the product for free, or you are a cord cutter paying $10 a month, uh, that product will have advertisements. See, see, that might just work, actually. There's just enough people that are 45, maybe even 40 years old, and you know, to 40, 60, whatever odd years old, that don't want to watch TV through their damn phone. They don't want to get a, a, a Google Chromecast and cast things and have to be bouncing around and clunking and fumbling around. They just want to pick up their damn thing their remote and flip through the channels and hit their DVRs and watch the shows like they're used to. And there might be enough people that also then realize, oh, I get this free uh, com- or NBC Universal Plus or whatever the hell it's going to be called. You get that free if you're already a subscriber. And then who people who might want to purchase it for 10 bucks or whatever, that, that model might actually be sustainable for quite some time because I've been miserable, miserable watching TV uh, via my phone until I found Hulu Live. Now it's a lot better. Now it's a lot, but we're still on a free trial. I don't know. If I want to pay fifty bucks a month for this. But jumping back and forth from app to app, trying to get it to cast, hoping that it buffers well. I mean, it's a little annoying. So that might be an actually a, a pretty good approach by NBC. Let's see. Uh, here's the biggest thing that a lot of these companies have to deal with. What I think is funny as hell is that they gave away so many rights to so many different shows to Netflix for probably a pretty hefty amount of money, just thinking, ha, what a bunch of idiots. Like, anybody's going to watch Netflix. Well, hell, now they're getting their own streaming services, and they have to buy it back. All of these streaming services have created multiple bidding wars from networks to buy back their content from Netflix. Warner Media will spend $85 million a year for the next five years to stream its popular sitcom Friends. NBC Universal will shell out $100 million a year for the next five years to take back the rights to stream its own show, The Office. And Disney will be pulling all of its movies from Netflix in 2019 as it rolls out Disney+. Plus. You gotta think there's a lot of just dumb luck there, but I'm sure that somebody was smart enough to think, we'll buy this and then sell it back to them someday. Somebody had to have been smart enough to think that, but most people in these boardrooms and executives just fell into some dumb luck. $85 million a year for five years to show friends? Excuse me? $100 million a year for the next five years. 500 
a half a billion dollars. NBC is going to pay Netflix to get The Office on their uh, streaming platform. Unreal. Unreal amounts of money. Um, so, yeah, it's because of these dumb executives that just thought Netflix was, was going to bubble up and go away. And holy hell, they were wrong. For several years, while Netflix gained in valuation, the party line among traditional media executives was, this is a flash in the pan. What we want to do is protect the cable bundle. We don't want to self-impose the destruction of this. It's our golden goose. What has happened in the past couple years is an evolution of thinking that the bubble in Netflix is not actually going to burst. In fact, Netflix stock rose over 2,000% from the beginning of 2013 to early August 2019. Now, with streaming content solidified in the consumer market, content creators and media outlets all want a piece of the pie. The more choice they get, the less they need the traditional cable bundle. And so what we should see is more and more people cutting the cord or cutting traditional cable. Cord cutting, the process of ditching cable, has been on the rise. The five biggest cable companies collectively lost 3.2 million paid TV customers in 2018. And I was one of those 3.2 million that quit cable last year. And one more to go here. There was some talk about, they throwing out some numbers about how much money all these um, companies are going to be putting into their original content, which is going to be really the king going forward. It's great to have the archives. You need to have the archives to give, give your brand and your platform some credibility. But in the end, you need new content. And there's Netflix spends billions of dollars a year on producing new content. That's going to be another struggle all in its own. So in the end, so many of us have been screaming, let me pick what I want to watch. Let me choose what I want to watch. Well, now you get that choice and it's building and building on top of each other and becoming more and more expensive to watch all the things you want to watch. And the bundling services, we might all look back and feel like we uh, missed, or there might be a whole nother bundling online streaming service on its way as well. Plus also the, the field is becoming an ocean of content and they will not all survive. Not only could streaming cost as much as cable, but users would also have to navigate a complicated and segmented landscape of products to get to the content that they want. Do people want to sign up for six different streaming services? Everything's going to be behind its own silos. It's just creating a fragmented media world. There might even be the potential of a company to bundle all of these products together under one umbrella product. We'll have to wait and see how this all shakes out, but some casualties will be expected. There are simply too many streaming products that the entire ecosystem won't work with all of them. I'll just tell you this. I'm loving life with Hulu Live now, and um, it's a game changer for my household. Coming up next, I was in an interaction with two other males of different ethnic backgrounds, and all these following terms could have fallen into this interaction. Cultural bias, racial profiling, and white privilege, and maybe even a touch of racism. And it was very hard to see. You had to pay very close attention. I'll expand on that further next.
Now back to more Stone on Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Stoneonair.com. What if he had been white? The case has touched off emotional debates about racial profiling of black men. But what about the other side of the coin? White privilege. Do you agree that there is such a thing in, as white privilege? Is that real? Of course it's real, and I'm white and I have it. You know, I have the privilege to never look suspicious. That's an incredible privilege to have. I will never look suspicious to anyone regardless of what I'm wearing because of my skin color. White people have been in power for hundreds and hundreds of years. And because white people, we've been in power for hundreds and hundreds of years, we think that we have the right to do whatever we want. Because as a white person, we have to begin to understand, I'm not, I don't feel guilty for being white. I'm not, a, I don't, I'm not ashamed of being white. It was the hand that I was dealt. It was the card that came out of the deck. It's what I got. But when I got that, when I was lucky enough to be a man, to be white, to be an American, I got choices to make. The choices that I'm going to make is I'm not going to be quiet. I'm not going to watch a kid get shot in the chest and just be quiet. I am not going to walk through my neighborhood in Brooklyn tonight, have to worry about the police following me because I look suspicious. It's just not going to happen. There's no peace and love for this very fine people. It is Andy White and very fine people. Recycled from a few weeks ago. Figured it would work here just as good. I'm not going to try to make some huge overall greater point in this segment, and I'm not going to spend a whole heck of a lot of time on it. Very fine people. Um, it's just what happened at the gas station or the convenience store. I just... It's not that I couldn't believe it. I just... It took a second for it to process at what had just happened. And then it got me thinking, and it got me and my girlfriend talking. And we, we're, you know, we're on the same side, right? Like, we come from the same, you know, there's the middle, and then there's one side, and then there's the other. We're on that same side. We go very different routes to get to what we believe in and what we ideally, ideologically firmly believe in and that's fine I'm, I'm, I'm good with that but we had a little bit of debate that involved talking about white privilege and I am of the type that gets a little bit squirmish with the term um, white privilege because often it sounds like it's coming at me like I'm supposed to be apologizing for something um, and and I and I, I get it that in most settings that's not what it's about it's just it's it's one of those they're just looking for a recognition and appreciation and understanding of what the white privilege is that, uh, that, that one might or might not have and understand the differences there. And I, I hope it's clear that I very much understand the difference because I'm the guy who regularly says when I'm talking about anything involving, I don't know, health or whatever it might apply to, I won the genetic lottery. I am a, I'm a 5'11", 165, brown hair, blue eyes, um, in relatively very good shape and good metabolism and don't do a damn thing for myself other than swill alcohol and go to concerts and fall down drunk on the weekends at ball games and do things that are dangerous. And I never, I don't come out smelling like a rose every time, but I certainly come pretty damn close. And um, I was born 
with a body and features that uh, fit the American ideals, you know, the the, the, the cover of the magazine. And I'm, I'm looking pretty rough and going on 40 years old now, but you get my point. So I do understand that there's lots of white privilege that, especially male white privilege that I have. But let me get to the story of what happened here. So it's down the street at what we used to call, we still call Sergio's. A guy named, uh, you, you've seen him run around town. He's probably pushing 70 now. Uh, short, uh, balding, little small a man, not American descent. I would say some kind of, uh, hell, I don't even want to begin to start to guess. But uh, he is uh, widely known as a, as a runner, and he used to own this little market, little convenience store down by the tunnels, and we just called it Sergio's because he was the owner. Well, he sold it some years ago to what most people around here refer to as Indians. Uh, I don't know where they're from. We'll just say Arabic descent. And uh, that was probably at the turn of the decade. It's been quite some time now. So I pop in there from time to time to grab, a, you know, whatever, pack of smokes, uh, occasionally maybe a, a new Sunday newspaper, Coke, whatever. And the other day, I pull in, and I go to grab a couple of things, and it comes out to be $7.09. Now, I don't go to this place enough that they're that I'm a regular, right? Like, they don't know me by name, which sometimes a lot of these guys will do that, depending on their uh, grasp of the English language and the understanding of American culture. You'll get that a lot. Sometimes you won't. Here, I don't have any of that. They don't know who I am any more than I know who somebody else is. And what I'm purchasing is $7.09, I find out in a second. But the guy in front of me, and there's two other, it looked like it was probably, it was a, a young boy and probably, a, you know, a girlfriend or a wife, probably in their mid-20s, African-American. Not exactly dressed to kill, all right? I mean, I'm not saying they look like total slobs or trash, but, you know, not exactly looking fantastic but hell you should see me dragging my ass out of, out of the house sometimes to just go get something real quick i look like shit i not, that's not part of the judgment here i'm just giving you an overall painting of the picture here and they're just buying some junk food you know some ho-hos or some you know honey buns or whatever it was maybe a coke or something and i can i'm not, I'm not really paying that close of attention and then i notice he's kind of like looking around his pat in his pockets back pocket talking kind of to the to the woman next to him and there she's looking around and he's short on change he's short on money and uh and i so i'm just now i'm just paying attention because i notice that and then i see i hear her i should say hear him say uh hold on hold on i got i got a uh, i got 10 cents i got 10 cents out in the car hold on i mean i'll be right back and he goes outside and so then the guy the cashier voids out the the, the the transaction, says, come on, nods to me, hey, come on. And I walk up and, you know, get put it on the table. He prices it. It's $7.09. $7.09. I have $8 in my hand because I knew it was going to be right around 7 And uh, I can't just grab the 5, 1, 2, got the other single in my hand. And, uh, and I go to hand him the 8. And he said, I hear 7's fine. 7's fine. And I put the, uh, thanks, man, appreciate it. Put the dollar back in my pocket, walked off, passed the, the the black guy coming back in after he just scrounged through his car to find 10 cents because dude wasn't going to let him budge without coming up with 10 cents. And it took a few minutes before I thought about what had just happened. Now, is the most ama- was that the most amazing story you've ever heard? Of course not. Of course not. 10 cents, find a dime, 
here, I'll give you a break. Find a penny, ta- or, you know, give a penny, take a penny kind of thing. We started driving down the road, and um, I said, I was like, Brittany, I just, what just happened seems like a microcosm of something. I'm not exactly sure what. And that's where I say that the different terminology comes into play on this little psychoanalysis I'm doing of the human condition and the, um, the overall interaction of strangers. And it is very much cultural bias. It is very much racial profiling. And it is very much white privilege that all went in to that interaction. And I don't think the other two walked out of there and spent any amount of time thinking about this, not trying to say I'm superior and I'm smarter. I'm just saying it was just, it was subtle and could very easily be argued that it's absolutely nothing. But to me, it was a very, very telling interaction in a microcosm of a lot of tension and relationship and interaction issues we have in this country. So it got me thinking about these different things, white privilege, uh, racial profiling, cultural bias. What is all these things? Real quick, and I'll get out of here shortly. From tolerance.org, this is a very lengthy uh, piece, and I'm only going to do a couple uh, couple of paragraphs of it. From Corey Collins, tolerance.org, what is white privilege really? Today, white privilege is often described through the lens of Peggy McIntosh's groundbreaking essay, White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. Originally published in 1988, the essay helps readers recognize white privilege by making its effects personal and tangible. That might need to be on my next reading list. White privilege is, perhaps most notably in this era of uncivil discourse, a concept that has fallen victim to its own connotations. The two-word term packs a double whammy that inspires pushback. One, the word white creates discomfort among those who are not used to being defined or described by their race. And two, the word privilege, especially for poor and rural white people, sounds like a word that doesn't belong to them, like like a word that suggests that they have never struggled. Their defensiveness derails the conversation, which means, unfortunately, that defining white privilege must often begin with defining what it's not. Otherwise, only the choir listens. Racism versus white privilege. Having white privilege and recognizing that it is not racist. But white privilege exists because of historic, enduring racism and biases. Therefore, defining white privilege also requires finding working definitions of racism and bias, which I'll get to in a second. There's several different sections here. You can go read it for yourself if you'd like. White privilege as power of normal. White privilege as power of the benefit of the doubt. White privilege as power of accumulated power. And the exact definitions are cultural bias is a form of ethnocentrism in which people from a particular ethnic background judge the outside world through a worldview based on their own cultural standards. It is different from racism in that it targets cultural differences rather than the anthropological characteristics like skin color. Now, ethnocentrism is a word I've known since uh, since my small days of community college, in my anthropology class, ethnocentric people think that your that, that that their culture is superior to other cultures, and I've always thought there's not really anything wrong with that. I think virtually all of us are at least somewhat ethnocentric. That's why we're in the culture in which we're in. Racial profiling is the act of suspecting or targeting a person of a certain race on the basis of observed or assumed characteristics or behavior of a racial or ethnic group rather than on individual suspicion. 
and one more, the actual definition of racism. The first one I get. The second one I haven't thought about as much. Prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. You know, that one I've understood. I've always known. This one I've never thought about as much. The belief that all members of each race possess characteristics or abilities specific to that race, especially so as to distinguish it is as infer- inferior or superior to another race or races, meaning they have specific characteristics or abilities or don't have that ability that then define whether they are inferior or superior to another race. I've never really quite uh, heard it put that way. So I guess my overall thought here, I'm just, more than anything, I want this to be a thought-provoking, thought-starter kind of segment. I'm not trying to say much of anything other than what was that situation that I had? Very, 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 to many people, meaningless. But to me, was worth dissecting. Was the cashier racial profiling the black, the younger black, what could have been looked at as potentially a poor black man and a poor black family as somebody who probably won't come back to his store or doesn't really care if he does or doesn't or is not going to let somebody try to get over on him because of the preconceived notions they might have based on his skin color? Or was it my white privilege that maybe he did recognize that I come to this store occasionally and that if he gave me a nine-cent break, then that I would remember that and come back and purchase more? Or is it some kind of blend of those two scenarios with three different nationalities all interacting and I just thought it was one hell of a study of the human condition and the uh, the social interactions of three complete strangers from three completely different cultural backgrounds. I just thought it was uh, I thought it was interesting and worth spending a few minutes on. All right, I appreciate you guys and gals being here. I'm gonna cut out now. We're at about the 50, almost 55 minute mark. And that is about where I usually call it quits. Y'all have a great week. Happy Halloween. Don't mean to be too big of a jerk about it. If that's your thing, enjoy it. I will be uh, doing something. The rain is going to be wreaking havoc on all this mess. I would love it if they would say Halloween is officially on Friday. That way I wouldn't have to mess with it on Thursday as I will be doing some stuff with Brittany and uh, the kids. And it's her birthday on Halloween. So happy birthday, Brittany. I love you to death. You're the best in the world. And even if I don't like Halloween, I love you. And there you go. That's it. I got to go. Have a good one. We'll do it again next week. So, bye. Oh, 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 oh.